Within the theme of widening the circle for this month, I, I think it's important to enter into one of those most important values in Unitarian Universalism, that of tolerance. And the question that often comes with it is, what are the limits of tolerance? One of the ways I love kind of encapsulating Unitarian Universalism uh, borrows from Stan Lee, which is, we have great freedom paired with great responsibility and great accountability. And how do we navigate the perpetual dance between freedom and obligation, freedom and the limits that we need to set around each other and within each other and within ourselves that we may continue to pursue that freedom? I'll say more than once, one of the most common experiences in, in, a, in a progressive preacher uh, world is you know, once we start to kind of say there are limits, there are, are boundaries to this idea um, of what we're talking about, even as we draw in Unitarian Universalism from a multitude of sources, we love our deep and rich history, we love nature, we love science, we love poetry and music and so much more, and we draw from so many places. And, and there are limits. There are boundaries that we kind of articulate and re-articulate in our life together. So one of the most common uh, experiences for a Unitarian Universalist minister is to say, well, how can you preach this expansive message of, of tolerance and freedom and still say no? And I will be the first to offer that no is a complete sentence, hallelujah. So we have to talk about, I think I want to talk about tolerance and talk about some of those boundaries in this moment. Because Karl Popper affirms quite emphatically that there are lines. That you can have a wide range of tolerance. We want a, an open society, if you will. And that openness must be cherished and protected from those who would be intolerant, from those who would sacrifice the toleration for other agendas. You want to avoid, as he said, you want to, of course, avoid force of any kind if there can be rational conversation. I so appreciate Karl Popper and the, like, the 20th century thinkers and theologians who were like, right, people are rational, people are rational, and we're in the last five years, you're like, ooh, really? I have questions. <laughs> this rational thing is a little more tricky than maybe they are preaching. Because we have, because, you know, Popper wasn't dealing with the internet and social media and, and how, how misinformation, intentional misinformation, can swing around the world in seconds and then is so hard to counter and dial back because it, it, it triggers our amygdalas. We've been having a highly anxious world experience for the last couple of years in particular. And, and our little anxiety buttons are on full throttle. And so in this moment, as a global experience, it's even more difficult to navigate the yes and the no. 
and to say to those who would say that, that you must submit to my version of the world or you don't matter. I mean, that's what it ends up happening with more, some of the more conservative voices, some of the more fascist and controlling voices that say, if the world must be made in my image and anything else, I'm going to destroy it. Anything else is not worthy. The forces of tolerance would would the forces of intolerance would destroy tolerance if allowed to do so. The social contract that so many have presumed in so many ways has already been broken for quite some time. Ask those who are black, indigenous, and people of color, but it's even more so. And so we have this opportunity, this space, to reconfigure and remember what is it that we hold dear and why and then how to protect that. There are such profound differences in moral values. It's no wonder, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be with the people I want to be with that I agree with. I mean, you know, to be in if you're talking about like circles of tolerance, if you will, the circle of tolerance that says, you know, I, I want to be with people that are, are like-minded because it's so exhausting otherwise. But then to be enclosed with the people who you think are equally tolerant becomes its own resonance chamber and its own limitedness. So as I was reading Popper and thinking about this, I want to first begin with an understanding and reflecting on what does it mean, what does he mean by tolerance? Because we need so much space for it and so much reflection on it. So this was one of those interesting adventures in going into, into the dictionary because that's also scripture for the Unitarian Universalists. To go into thinking about tolerance. And, you know, one of the first definitions is that of endurance. Okay, I'm going to hang on until it's done. I can get through, you know, that kind of, all right, I don't like it, but I can be here. I can be in the present moment. So that's just kind of getting through something. But then there's that definition of tolerance that's um, allowances. You know, the engineers know about this, right? You know, as my father was uh, an engineer designing... Um, he was a flow kind of engineer. He helped make things flow, like steel through rolling mills and that kind of thing. You had to have very, very exact measurements to make steel flow. And so those allowances were teeny tiny, for example. So that kind, or the other places, there can be more wiggle if you need something a little less precise. So tolerance is allowance as well. But for Unitarian Universalists, we look at religious tolerance. And we look at how do we make the most space that we can for the wide range of beliefs and perspectives that we know is among us. And we also know that we all benefit from the freedom of search for meaning, the free and responsible search for meaning. We know how much that matters because in that, 
in that we get to engage and wonder together, ask our big questions together, maybe come up even with a few answers because we know we don't have them all by ourselves. So we need the breadth that is among us, and we need the breadth of religious and ethic, eth ethics and moral diversity that is in our world around us and in history and more. And I want to offer one of the questions that comes up in Unitarian Universalism is, um, we've done such a good job, for example, with creating safe spaces for those who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, and more. You know, we've been one of those leading faith communities that have created such safe spaces for people to come in and explore and figure out who they are. And if they could be public no place else but in a church like this, they can be, even if they have to be in the closet for the rest of their lives. That is no small thing. And so we talked about that early on. We talked about that language of that, that spaciousness as tolerance. And, and somewhere along the lines, that tolerance got, got a bad rap, if you will. It got shifted into, well, don't just merely, you know, mere tolerance. You're going to put up with me, but you're not really accepting me. I really want acceptance. We must, we must have acceptance and lessen the value, you know, kind of put aside the value of tolerance. You know, I saw this as a Unitarian Universalist kind of growing up. It's been this interesting conversation between acceptance and tolerance and saying, we want tolerance, not just acceptance. I hear you. But I want to offer that tolerance in our context it's, it's not simply looking at the question of acceptance, but the opposite of tolerance is intolerance, is that there is no room for something different. So if you think of it as a, as a continuum, you have acceptance on one side, you have tolerance as a big space in the middle, you have intolerance over on another side. And so how do we work out this space, this circle of tolerance? And, and I want to offer, um, you know, and I want to offer an example, kind of what, you know, what does like a personal range of tolerance look like and how do you kind of play with that? So I'll begin with um, a confession. I don't like olives. I don't, I don't understand them. I don't understand olives. I'm learning to appreciate olive oil with a strong flavor. I'm open to the idea that one can acclimate to foods when blended with others. For example, hide something in a really good soup, I can deal with it. You know, if you don't even know what you're eating, you don't know that you don't like it. Great. But, honestly, I tested this a little bit of black olive ended up in my deli sandwich some time ago. I mean, I even saw it fall into the sandwich when the server was making it, and I didn't say anything. I'm like, you know what? Let me see what happens. Tolerance, right? I'm working on it. I had the sandwich. I enjoyed it. I got to the bite where that olive was. I swear, I thought something had died. Oh. 
I was like, oh, I really don't like them. There's a line. <laughs> it's okay to have a line. I tried it and there's a line. Okay, no olives. When we get back to the promised land of like potlucks and so on and so forth, and it is a promised land, I'm looking forward to it. Just humor me when I don't go for the olives. Thank you. Tolerate the minister's intolerance, if you will. But in the very serious work, in the larger work of navigating tolerance and intolerance, we have to deal with all aspects of our life, the physical, the mental, our range of opinions, and, and to be around people, to be around the discomfort of being around people with genuine differences. And, and that's part of congregational life as well. And I so appreciate, you know, Jan Hus and Francis David being able to hold the line and say, you know what, we see how the society is being torn apart and we're going to live with a lot of discomfort because we're going to allow a little bit more spaciousness in this society so that there's a lot less violence against each other. We're going to allow more room for people to be. It's that managing of self. It's that emotional intelligence of managing of self and understanding where your space is and where somebody else's space is and being able to recognize that and respect it and to allow, if you will, that circle of tolerance to be as wide as possible, to be you know, permeable like a cell membrane, if you will. Things that kind of, there's room to move and learn and explore and change your mind and try something new. You know, Earl Morris Wilbur is our source in Unitarian Universalism for the idea of tolerance, for really naming that as our value. And he talked about this. So this is one of those Unitarian Universalist um, history resources that many of us in ministry still had to... Um, had to read. It's like, it's old. I mean, it's like old. It's like he was, you know, this is, a, he was in the early half of the 20th century. And still this was our major text, you know, for me in, in the late 1990s. Um, but it, it's expressed a core of our history that's so important, where he talks about the value of the three elements of liberal religion and where we come from. He says, first, uh, there's three leading principles. First, complete mental freedom in religion rather than bondage to creeds or confessions. So complete mental freedom. Second was the unrestricted use of reason in religion rather than reliance on external authority or past tradition. You must have reason applied to religion. And third, third for this moment, generous tolerance of differing religious views and usages rather than insistence upon uniformity in doctrine and polity and worship. Generous tolerance, he said, of different religious views. So freedom, reason, tolerance. That's at the core of our liberal faith in the Unitarian tradition and the Christian tradition of which we come from. And he spoke about why this was important, 
why it was so deeply important to engage in intolerance in particular, but all three of these elements working together. He said, in 1920, he said, when all three are in place, they leave the soul of man face to face with God. This is 1920s language here, but there was something about that when I read it. They leave the soul of man face to face with God. He was talking about that when you have this freedom and reason and tolerance in combination, that you access, you have access to the individual experience of the holy. You rely upon mutual tolerance, religious tolerance of thought and practice, of tolerance for different opinions, equality of regard for individual reason, for the experience of faith, and the freedom of thought and the exercise of reason, those will bring you to direct encounter with all that is, with existence itself. That there should be nothing between the self and the holy, the I and the thou. And Wilbur goes on to say that this freedom in religious thought, it's not for an end itself, it's not, I got, you know, it's not a God goal, if you will, but rather that what comes from that relationship then has direct application and meaning in how we engage in our mortal lives, how we engage in our world, how we relate to each other, how we serve. Because certainly... Wilbur would have been operating from the book of Micah, the, to do justly. You know, what, are you, what is required of you? What is required of you? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And he didn't just mean it for like the Unitarians, like all, got all the God revelation. He meant it for everybody. That we should have this space to grow in relationship to ourselves, the people around us, the earth, all that is. And it's not letting everything go. It is great freedom with responsibility. It is, as James Luther Adams reminds us, that we must have wide open minds, but not have minds open at both ends. Revelation comes right in and it goes right out the door. No. You want to hold on to that relationship and take something in and do something with it in this world. But how do we apply that from a practical perspective? What does it actually mean in our lives to kind of navigate this circle of tolerance? And how does it relate to intolerance? I was thinking about my ministry in Midland, Texas for this one, because that was very much an exercise in acceptance and tolerance and intolerance. So while I was in Texas, um, there were five years when we, we lived north of Dallas, and then I commuted to West Texas, about 360 miles one way. Yes. And Patrick's like, yeah, my spouse, Patrick's like, eh, yeah, that was long. That was long. Whew, goodness gracious. And the wonderful congregation, they would, people would like have me stay with them so I could like be there for 10 days and then go back. I mean, it was a lot. 
simply living in Midland is a network of circles of tolerance. Because Midland, Odessa, out there, that's oil country. The reason there are people there is because of oil. The reason that there's a population of any size is because of air conditioning. I mean, truly. So here is this community that directly trades in and consumes fossil fuels to exist and to keep making money because that's why they're there, because it makes a lot of money. That's why it's there. And there are generations of families. There's a diversity of languages, of race, of culture. There is art and theater and beauty. There's high school football. You haven't seen high school football. I know what I'm saying. There's higher education. There's all the supporting elements of life that go along with people working and living. There's families, there's schools, there's parks, and there's a lot of great Tex-Mex food. I avoided the olives there too. Moderate and liberal and progressive voices have a lot to navigate in that environment. It was a daily task to serve with this congregation where most folks were involved with the oil industry and rely on that work for their income, love their work, while being in a faith that rails against um, harm to the environment, the extraction of fossil fuels, and wants to call our attention to climate change. Church message, work life, oh my goodness. Uh, marking also the problems of capitalism and consumerism and hyper-individualism and making that all more known. It was this spiritual struggle for those who find the oil, wanting to feel welcome and feel their church and their community in a congregation where people often spoke out against harm to the earth and harm to the environment. Ah, oh, the frustration. And I got to be the minister, and I got to be the minister for a short while and be a witness to navigating this and trying to foster community and grow a congregation in the midst of this. But the members really had to live with each other in a whole different way than I did. And, and those different edges of acceptance and tolerance and intolerance were all bumping into each other all the time. And here we still were committed to freedom, reason, tolerance, love, justice in the world, and the worth of being a beloved community, raising children, supporting each other in hardship and illness and age, protecting each other's right for the search for truth and meaning, and recognizing there were moments when they were at an impasse because of conflicting priorities and yet still remaining connected. And what was also true was that you had folks who would leave the, the, the enclosure, the, the, the care of the congregation, and go into their work lives where they may not be able to say where they go to church and may have to endure hearing a lot of views that are deeply morally hurtful and in the spaces, in spaces that often did not tolerate variations in politics and perspectives. They would need to navigate this circle of tolerance 
and then often encounter a much less tolerant world. The values, the value of what we strive for with freedom and reason and tolerance, it is, as Wilbur says, clearing the deck, making enough room for the great work. It wasn't exclusive to Unitarians. He, he wasn't trying to be exclusive to the Unitarians even. He was like, if we, do, if we have done nothing else but clear the deck for the great work of humanity, that we may live together, advocate for each other's freedom, and put our humility and awe into practice, that we advocate for lives profoundly, deeply affected in biased and harmful systems. That, that is what we're striving for in this great work of tolerance, and why we must be as wide as possible and as protective as possible. He would talk about the teachings, you know, his, he came from directly the Christian line, the teachings of Jesus, who would have us tend to those who suffer, call out those who abuse power, and call out those who would interfere with other people's access to their God. It's not letting just, the, the work of tolerance is not just letting everything go. It's not all acceptance. It's not any one thing. It is keeping our minds and hearts open to the possibilities, but not entirely open that we lose ourselves and lose our space to be ourselves. Not let that world of tolerance be destroyed by intolerance. And as I close, I recognize that we leave from this space in this moment. This is, in fact, one of those circles. It's nice to be here. It's good to be here for a minute. And then we go out into the world and try to keep with us the meaning of that tolerance, not acceptance, not intolerance, to live in this world with its abundance of efforts of those who would conform, who would make the world over to their moral values, who would harm those who are marginalized, would harm all of us and would condemn and dismiss people if we don't agree. Let us go forth. It is up to us to navigate these questions in this future, in this day, and in this hour. Let us go forth. How we answer the question of tolerance and its paradox is up to us. How will you answer? Amen.